John the Baptist was killed because of a hastily made promise given by a man who was overly aroused by his stepdaughter's dancing. With little thought as to possible consequence, Herod spoke his promise to give her whatever she wanted. He was acting out of emotion, feeling more than thinking. And so in his lust and overexcitement, he got a man killed. I'd like to say that as disciples of Jesus, we don't fall into that trap anymore. The trap of speaking and acting out of our emotions and letting rash words cause harm to others. I'd like to say that we don't cause harm with our rash words, but of course we still do. As a researcher, Brene Brown and author uh, points out, we like to think of ourselves as thinking people who also feel, but really we're feeling people who sometimes think. We're often driven by our emotions and even our rational decisions are often clouded by our emotions. We may not get people beheaded with a hastily made promise like Herod did. But remember that even before Herod had John killed, he had him imprisoned. This was probably another hastily made decision, probably based largely on emotion. Herod was the named Jewish king. He was a puppet king of Rome. Nevertheless, his assigned duty was to lead well the nation of Israel. So when he decided to marry his brother's wife, John pointed out that doing so was against Jewish law. Now, usually Herod liked listening to John. He didn't quite get it. He was kind of bothered by some stuff that he said. But overall... He enjoyed something about what John was teaching about God, teaching about the ways of life in Israel, in God's kingdom. But then John called into question Herod's unlawful marriage and in what was likely a tantrumy fit of emotion, Herod, Herod decided that there was no longer room enough in Israel for both John and him. So we have John imprisoned. I don't like what you have to say, so you'll have to go. Was Herod's basic operating model with John. Now, again, we don't usually get people killed with our rash words and emotionally clouded decisions, but I don't like what you have to say. And so you'll have to go is something that I hear with increasing frequency. That I we just keep experiencing this overall way of being where if I don't like what you have to say, you have to leave. In our nation, with much of the vitriolic emotional language surrounding any issue. People tend to be painted in absolute binary terms. One side of what we hear. If you agree with anything President Trump does or says, then you must be. You're described as a hateful racist, which is completely false. On the other side of what we hear, if you don't agree with something President Trump does or says, then you must be, you're described as an anti-American nincompoop. Also not true. 
Much of what we hear today is, I don't like what you have to say, so you'll have to go. That's Herod's way. Much of this thinking with our emotions is not only in our political discourse, in our civil discourse, thinking that we need to put away and get rid of and reject the other ends up living out itself in our church life, in our faith as well. My guess is that most of us don't believe that some other person who disagrees with us should be just labeled and cast aside. Most of us, when our emotions are down instead of up, don't believe I don't like what you have to say and therefore you have to go. Most of us would not want to kick out of the church someone whose beliefs are different or whose faith is different. We may disagree, but I guess my guess is that most of us would not want to declare those with whom we disagree no longer welcome in the Episcopal Church or no longer a part of the body of Christ. And yet people continually feel like that's exactly what they're being told. Because of what you believe, you no longer belong. I had a question recently from a friend in the Episcopal Church wondering what was the Episcopal Church's stance on a variety of current hot button issues. And he was ultimately wondering if he still belongs in the Episcopal Church. He has more conservative views on most of the hot button issues today. And he was wondering if because of his conservative views, he was going to be seen as a bigot in his church. Hearing what some in his church have said, hearing what some leaders in the church have said, he was guessing that he wasn't welcome. Now, none of those leaders ever said he wasn't or hinted at it. But we hear it so much. Based on conversations and observations of others in his church, he was afraid. He felt that if he were to say that he agrees with some of what President Trump's policies, that he would have been labeled a hateful racist and shunned. I assured him that as far as any official stance within the Episcopal Church goes, of course, he is a part of the Episcopal Church. And of course, his views are welcomed in the Episcopal Church, that he is not a bigot for having conservative views, nor is anyone a nincompoop for having liberal views, that there are bishops and priests and laity throughout the Episcopal Church on the far right, on the far left, everywhere in between. And all of those beliefs are welcome in the Episcopal Church. It's not as comfortable as it is to say, I disagree, you don't belong. That's a lot easier. But that is not the way of the Episcopal Church. One of the longtime hallmarks of the Anglican Episcopal Church, almost one of the defining hallmarks, is that we are united in Jesus and that our unity in Jesus overcomes any other divisions we have. Sadly, much of how we talk about our differences nowadays leaves us feeling like there is only room for some of us. I've been guilty of this and how I've talked and written. I'm guessing many of us have. When we're 
up emotionally and we talk emotionally or write emotionally about an issue and we end up saying things in such a way that those with opposing views end up hearing what we're not saying, but what it sure sounds like we're saying. And that is, I don't like what you have to say, so you'll have to go. But a one-sided church is not the way of the Anglican Episcopal Church. The Anglican Church started off with bloodshed. Whenever a Catholic monarch was in charge, they killed the Protestants. Whenever a Protestant monarch was in charge, they killed the Catholics. Finally, Elizabeth said, we're not doing this anymore. This isn't the church of Catholicism. This isn't the church of Protestantism. It's the church of England. Furthermore, it's the church of Jesus. And we're going to be united around Jesus and be united around prayer. So all of you Catholics who are so upset that there are Protestants here, terribly sorry, we're keeping them. And all of you Protestants who are terribly upset that all of these Catholics are still here, so sorry, we're keeping them too. And we're going to unite and come together in that tricky, messy middle place where we remain as one united in Jesus because we continue to believe that our unity comes from Jesus and that there is room enough for all of us, even with our opposing views. Now, in Herod's kingdom, there was only room enough for what pleased Herod. And when someone challenged him or made him uncomfortable, then there was no longer room for that person in his kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, there is room for all of us. We are all the body of Christ and individually members of it. That was our scripture for this last week at Camp Allen, where I was with Kristen and several others. We are all the body of Christ and individually members of it. And not only there is, is there room for all of us, there is need for all of us. One of the issues that my friend was asking me about, what does the church believe, was about immigration. Families being separated at the border between Texas and Mexico. He said that he was not a fan of detaining children. And yet he also believes that enforcing the immigration laws is a good thing. He was aware of human trafficking that happens everywhere in the world, including the Texas-Mexico border. And as much as he wanted children to be reunited with their parents, he was also aware of the possibility that some of those children were likely being trafficked by people who weren't their parents. As it turns out, on the issue of separating families at the southern border, both sides have truths that we need. We need to be compassionate in how we treat and speak to and about immigrants. And we also need to enforce our laws with compassion and dignity. And we need to enforce our laws to keep people safe. Both sides are needed to be in conversation and messy conversation with each other for America to be the nation we were founded to be. Both sides are needed for us to truly live in the church as the body of Christ. We need each other. And there is plenty of room in Jesus for all of us. Paul wrote in his letter to the Galatians a few things that there isn't room for in the body of Christ. Basically, in Jesus' kingdom, there is not room for enmities and strife. Jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, etc. There is room, however, to be wrong. 
There is room for disagreeing. There is room for striving for what is right and good and coming up with different solutions and understandings about how we get to what is right and good. There is room within Jesus, within the body of Christ, for what Paul calls the fruits of the spirit. Love for each other. Joy in creation and our faith, peace in our hearts, patience and kindness as we live with others. Assuming each other's goodness. Faithfulness to Jesus, gentleness and self-control as we live with our differences. These fruits are how we are called to live with one another in Jesus, because these fruits are part of the character and nature of who Jesus is. Unlike in Herod's kingdom of his way only of rash words and decisions based on raw emotion and arousal. We belong to Jesus kingdom. No political or social belief unites us or divides us. And no rash words spoken by any of us in the heat of emotion. Get to declare someone else doesn't belong. We all belong in Jesus.